Hi everybody, Jimmy DeYoung, and welcome to Prophecy Today. I always ask for 90 minutes so that we can go around the world talking to our broadcast partners, getting from them insight and information on the current event which we may be discussing. For example, Ken Timmerman standing by in a moment. We're going to go to him. The G7, which may possibly be the G8 real soon, that is going on in Canada, those world leaders coming together. And then, of course, the upcoming summit between Trump and Kim. I want to get Ken Timmerman's take on that and other issues of geopolitical activities as we have the time. We'll go to David Dolan for a Middle East news update. Winky Madad is going to talk about the June 7 celebration. It was June 7, 1967, when the Israeli Defense Force took back the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. A key minute in history for the Jewish people. We'll get to that in a moment. John Rood has the European Union update. Brandon House, we're going to talk about Eagles football and the White House disinvite. You need to stay tuned for that. That'll be interesting. And David James is going to be talking with me about Christ at the checkpoint. You'll understand that more when David comes behind these microphones. We're here in Milwaukee in our temporary studios, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. We're going to be going not only through Wisconsin, but into Michigan, South Dakota, and Kansas. I'm here for the purpose of going 12 days, 12 different cities with VCY America radio rallies that we're going to be going into the communities where VCY of one of their 150 radio stations will have me come and will teach the prophetic word of God, have a fellowship time together. Looking forward, and if you're on the line to be one of those cities we come to, hope to have you come and visit with us. But right now, let's get to our broadcast partners, Ken Temmerman. Ken, I want to talk about two major summits, one going on in Canada right now. It's called the G7. And that's talking about the top seven economic powers in the world. But Donald Trump, who's up there, and boy, they don't like him because of his desires on raising the tariffs on some of these friendly countries. But he, I think, is trying to distract them. He suggested that they re-invite, reinstall Russia as one of these member states, make it then G8. What are your thoughts about that? Well, it's not surprising, and it's long overdue. The Russians have been excluded from all sorts of international events because of their invasion of Ukraine. They have been punished by the world community. That's a normal thing to have happened. But at the same time, it's also important to maintain a dialogue. One of the ironies of this so-called Russia collusion phony investigation that's been going on for a year and a half by Robert Mueller in Washington is that it has really made it impossible for President Trump to deal with Putin in any sort of normal way. And uh, that's dangerous. The Russians are increasing their military spending. They've just announced that they're developing a nuclear-powered cruise missile and other new weapon systems. Uh, and Putin has been is quite defiant. He says, you put sanctions on me, you have excluded me, and you have not kept Russia down. We actually have a budget surplus. You've not tripled our economy, and we're developing new weapon systems. So I think 
the Russia policy really of the United States and of the G7 needs to be reevaluated. It is not practical any longer. It has not worked, and it's potentially dangerous. Well, I think this is maybe a diversion for President Trump to try to get the world not thinking about tariffs and a trade war. We'll have to see. But I do believe everybody's focus is now on Singapore, where there's going to be a meeting upcoming June the 12th. I want to ask you, and let's talk about a couple of items as it relates to the Trump-Kim summit meeting that's supposed to take place there. First of all, do you think it's going to happen? Now, we're a couple of days out, but do you think it'll really happen? Well, you know, as President Trump says... We'll have to see. But it looks like it is going to happen now. I think the back and forth that we saw a week or so ago was because the North Koreans were playing games. And I think now they realize that they can't play games with President Trump, and they're going to have to be serious. If they want to have any kind of relief from sanctions, any kind of relief from the isolation that they're suffering, they're going to have to come to terms with the United States, and that means denuclearizing something that they have never wanted to do. So I think this is a fascinating time in history. Uh, President Trump has already accomplished something that none of his predecessors have been able to do in getting Little Rocket Man to come to the table. And we'll see what they discuss. You know, remember, the, the president has been downplaying expectations on this. He says, you know, it's not all going to be accomplished in one sitting. It could be two meetings. It could be three meetings. It could take longer, he said. But the important thing is to start the process of talking with Kim to hopefully decrease uh, the tensions on the Korean Peninsula. There has been conversations between President Kim of North Korea and also his counterparts in China and Russia. Now, you gave us some of your thoughts last time we were together on Russia and China. What do you think now that the meetings upon us uh, in this summit, will Russia and China play any role up front or in the back seat? Well, I don't think they're going to play a role in the actual summit unless they invite themselves at the last minute. I mean, who knows? But Russia and China, as we discussed last week, they do not see uh, America's interests uh, first. They're looking after their own borders with North Korea. They're desperate to prevent any kind of massive transfer of populations if, if the border opens and people are allowed to flee North Korea. They don't want to have millions and millions of starving people uh, suddenly at their gates. So the, the, the Russians and the Chinese are really playing troublemaker as much as anything else here. What about the fact that Donald Trump has made this statement that if it's not going the way he wants it to go, he'll just simply walk away from this particular summit. Now, let's just suppose he does walk away. What then? Well, I think that will have serious consequences for North Korea. What Trump is trying to do here is to signal to the North Koreans that he's very willing to sit down with them, but they can't sucker punch him. They can't play games with him. This is going to be a serious summit, or it will not be a summit. And the president wants to make 100% sure that Little Rocket Man understands that. Next time we get together next week, We'll talk with Ken more about this summit, and we'll have a better understanding of actually what did take place, what does the prospect look like for the relationship between America and North Korea. Some other items on the geopolitical events happening in the world, Ken. Talk to me about Iran making this statement they're going to boost their uranium enrichment program uh, if that deal, that nuclear deal, falls apart. Now, U.S. already withdrawn from that what about the European Union? 
Right, and that's what they're waiting to see. The Iranians are saying that they are going to keep the deal in place as long as the Europeans do, but I'm not sure that that really has any meaning, any real meaning. They're not getting sanctions relief from the Europeans. They were getting it from the U.S. We learned this past week, by the way, that the Obama administration lied to Congress about allowing Iran to use the U.S. financial system. They testified to Congress, to the Treasury Secretary and and Undersecretary, uh, they testified to Congress that they would not allow Iran to use the U.S. financial system, even with the lifting of sanctions. And we learned just last week that they did and they approved a deal where Iran could transfer billions of dollars through New York to be able to use it in other countries. The Europeans cannot provide the kind of relief that only the U.S. can. So Iran is, is uh, you know, dangling this threat of expanding its nuclear program. They have a new hall for enrichment where they're going to install uh, the late, newer generation centrifuges that they've been working on. They, they never stopped working on them, and that's one reason why the U.S pulled out of this deal is because it allowed the Iranians essentially to modernize their program, to upgrade their program. At the same time, they were no longer subject to sanctions. So now the Iranians are saying, see, all the while, under the nuclear deal, we've been improving our centrifuge design, and now we're going to install those new centrifuges, and we will be able to enrich uranium five times faster than before. Love what the Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, had to say. He gave a stark warning. He said, we We will, the United States will not allow Iran to have a nuclear weapon of mass destruction. Well, that's good news. I'm not sure if they can accomplish it. Well, interestingly enough, I I think the Iranians understand that that type of language from Mike Pompeo or similar language from President Trump actually means something. Uh, You heard President Obama again and again say the same kind of thing. We're not going to allow Iran to acquire a nuclear weapon. But, you know, he never did anything to stop them. Coming from Mike Pompeo, the Secretary of State, or from President Trump, these are threats that actually mean something. And I think the Iranians are going to take that into consideration, actually. I think they're going to walk a very fine line here in, in, in the coming months. Just a quick response, if you will, Ken, to what the Israelis are saying about Syria. They're not immune. In fact, Israel says if uh, they are attacked by Syria, Israel is going to destroy Assad and his forces. That's a pretty blunt warning as well. It is a blunt warning from a prime minister, Bibi Netanyahu, who also does not make idle threats. (laughs) And I think Assad is going to be listening to that as well. What Netanyahu is really uh, concerned about is two things. One, that Syria, uh, backed by Iran, might actually be tempted to strike across the Golan Heights into Israel. And the second thing is that he sees that uh, Syria is continuing to invite Iranian forces into Syria, and that's something that the Israelis are saying they will no longer tolerate. So Netanyahu wants those Iranian forces out. He has not put a timetable on it yet. He hasn't put a deadline on it, but he wants them out, and he's letting Assad know that he's deadly serious about this. Well, stay on top of this story with Ken Timmerman. He's the man who covers geopolitical activities for us happening around this world and always comes to this broadcast table with great insight. Ken, thank you so very much, my good friend. We'll have a conversation again next week. Thanks so much, Jimmy. God bless. We're going to take a break. When we come back, it's a Middle East news update. David Dolan standing by. That's all ahead right here 
on Prophecy Today. Prophecy Today is heard all across the USA on the Prophecy Today radio network, but also it is heard around the world through our website at prophecytoday.com. And Jay, there are many other features on our prophecytoday.com website, like daily news updated out of the Middle East as it pertains to what's happening prophetically. Special reports can be heard right on our website at prophecytoday.com. We have Prophecy Q&A available for you. Questions asked in the past can be answered on the website if you just check it out and go to that particular spot. Prophecy Quiz is available, and parts of our Prophecy Today program, if you should miss any part of it, will be heard the next week right here at prophecytoday.com. And don't forget, you can even email your questions to us for our live radio broadcast. Just go to our website at prophecytoday.com. You'll be amazed, you'll be surprised at what you'll find on our website. Be sure to visit us at prophecytoday.com on the World Wide Web. Have you ever wanted to know more about God's plan for the future? Have you ever tried to understand prophetic passages in God's Word, like, say, the book of Revelation, and been frustrated at not being able to figure it out? Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest CD series, Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, will help you gain the ability to understand where to start in your study of prophecy and allow you to read God's Word in a new and exciting way. Understanding God's prophetic Word will allow you to live a pure and productive life until Jesus returns for the church. Keys will help you gain the tools you need to understand the end-time events as foretold in God's Word. Dr. DeYoung lays out a systematic approach to Bible prophecy for those who want to know God's plan for the future. Tracks included are A Roadmap Through the End Times, The Jew in Jerusalem, Daniel and the Antichrist, Ezekiel and Messiah's Temple, and Revelation and Babylon. To order your copy of Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, visit our website at prophecytoday.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung here in Temporary Studios in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. This morning we had a group of Spanish pastors come together, these Hispanic religious leaders here in Milwaukee wanting to understand Bible prophecy. I gave them a session on the keys to unlocking Bible prophecy, and then I used that information I had given them to look at the scriptures and compare them to current events happening. Had a great time, over 60 pastors there, wonderful time. This is the first of a 12-day tour that we're going to be taking throughout several states, Wisconsin for sure, Michigan, South Dakota, and Kansas. And we're going to meet some of our listeners. I'm going to be teaching the prophetic word of God. It'll be a great time. By the way, get the schedule. Go on to my website, prophecytoday.com. Look at my schedule or go to the VCY America on the home page. They have the schedule in the cities where we will be. Looking forward to seeing you along the way. Well, let's go to David Dolan, as I promised we would. He has a Middle East news update for us. David, June 7 of 1967 was a key day. The Israeli paratroopers went up onto the Temple Mount, took the Temple Mount back, the most sacred piece of real estate for the Jewish people. And this week I was reading an article about 
Rabbi Israel Ariel. He heads up the Temple Institute. That's the organization preparing to build the next temple on the Temple Mount. He was one of those paratroopers on June 7, 1967, that took back the city. He was reflecting on its 51st anniversary. The Temple Mount is key to the Jewish people and the Jewish existence in the future as well, is it not? Well, definitely, Jimmy. I'm reminded whenever I travel around the world just how central Jerusalem is to the Jewish people because synagogues, wherever they're built around the world, are built to face the direction of Jerusalem from that location, wherever they are. And, of course, that's because it is the heart of the Jewish people, the heart of their religion, the heart of their identity, and to have that forced away from them. And let's uh, don't forget that's what happened. The Romans came in and physically took it from the Jewish people, threw them out. Almost 2,000 years not having that and not being able to pray freely there, especially after the Muslims took it over. That's been very difficult for the Jewish people over the centuries, and now they're back, now they have it back in their hands, and it's a joy to them. Of course, the Palestinians and others are protesting all the time against that. The last thing they want to see is a new Jewish temple, but as you said, that is the goal of the Institute and others there, and there's a a great deal of joy that this remains in Jewish hands today, 51 years after it was captured. David, Prime Minister Netanyahu is in the European Union meeting with leaders there as they try to determine whether they're going to go along with Iran and the Iranian nuclear deal, which the United States withdrew from just a couple of weeks back. The Prime Minister, in his message to these European Union leaders, is saying that the Gaza border violence is a result of the Iranians telling the Palestinians to do all they can violently to try to attract the world to the attention that Israel's going after the Palestinians. Boy, this is the case. I mean, it's pretty much sure that is exactly what Iran would like to have happen. Well, and Jimmy, the Israelis monitor Iranian communications all the time, and they know what's going on, and especially anything into the Gaza Strip. And they know that Iran has uh, basically ordered Islamic Jihad, their surrogate force there, to stir up trouble. Hamas has gone along with it as well. This march to freedom that they're calling it uh, to take back their cities and all this sort of thing. But as I said last week, the concern that I'm hearing about is that this is a diversion, that there continues to be a troop buildup in the north along the Golan border. There um, is uh, reports that Russia has over a thousand cruise missile launchers stationed right off the Syrian coast on ships there that could be used at any moment if needed. And Jimmy, while Netanyahu was in Europe on Friday, he warned the Syrian leader Assad not to attack Israel, indicating that there are some signs that may be on the horizon. He said we have our forces fully alert and we're ready to go and we are ready to defend ourselves. But again, they see the hand of Iran behind all of this. And as I mentioned also before, the Russians have at least publicly stated that it's getting near the time that Iran should leave Syria, the war's winding down, and their presence there is not needed anymore. If I were an Iranian leader, I'd spent five years building up my forces right north of Israel, and I had this surrogate force in Gaza and others around the area. I would go now. I wouldn't wait until possibly I have to leave the area. So that's what they're concerned about. And if we were to have a war in the next few days, it would be the third time in the first part of June we had that. You mentioned the 67 Six Day War. In 1982, Israeli forces crossed into Lebanon. I was there then, uh, also in early June. So it's a nervous time, but Israel is on full alert. 
Very interesting statement by the Prime Minister. He told Assad that if indeed Syria should attack Israel and try to take back, for example, the Golan Heights, that what would take place, Israel would destroy Assad's forces, and some have even said they would take Assad out. I hear that there's something going on with the United States and Israel. Understand the United States is ready to boost its military presence in Israel. Not many details on this. Do you know anything about it, or is it still in the works? I haven't heard anything official about it, Jimmy. I have seen some of those reports. It makes sense to me. Again, we have Vladimir Putin and his forces stationed right off the coast of Syria, ready to back Syria, apparently, in any war with Israel or with anyone else. And, of course, they have been strongly backing Assad in his quest to remain in power, and it looks successful now, as I mentioned. So uh, it's a very nerve-wracking, but the prime minister's warning is a real one. Israel has the ability to destroy the regime completely up there. There's no question about it. And uh, that would, of course, solve the problem that's been raging all this time, where the Sunni majority in the country is oppressed by the Assad regime. It would end that situation, so it would be a good outcome, but not one that Israel's going to initiate. But if there's any movement towards that Golan, Jimmy, I mentioned last week, most of Israel's fresh water comes from there. They cannot allow that to fall back into Syrian hands, and they won't. We could be looking at another major war in the month of June. Of course, the number one enemy for the Jewish state of Israel is Iran. Now word coming from Tehran, Iran, that the Iranian leadership, the Ayatollah, the Supreme Council, is making the statement they have started or ready to restart their uranium enrichment, and especially if the nuclear deal between Iran and the European Union falls apart. That's not good news, is it? No, it isn't, Jimmy. And uh, I also mentioned last week that the chances that the European Union will stay in that agreement are probably pretty slim because they do back President Trump's position that uh, ballistic missile testing must be halted by Iran. Hamani said earlier that that isn't going to happen. They're going to continue with that. They're going to continue what he calls his foreign aid to countries in the area. That's, of course, their meddling using that money that they got. And by the way, we found out also this week that President Obama did have a side secret deal with the Iranians to allow them some access to the U.S. Bank banking system. Congress wasn't told that when this whole thing came up, but it's a fact. So yes, they can start it quickly, Jimmy, and that's what Prime Minister Netanyahu's been warning all along, that uh, unless you destroy those centrifuges, take them out and destroy them or remove them from the country, uh, they could be restarted at any moment, and it would take just a few days to be up and running, and they'd be spinning uranium again, and that is a fact. They're still there. That agreement allowed them to remain in place. So a feckless agreement indeed, and one that looks to be ended, and of course that means the road to conflict is definitely open. That would be a bad situation. By the way, that is a part of the prophetic scenario found in God's Word. More on that when we take a look at the book in just a moment. Let me just say this final thought before we have to go, David. Uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu trying to keep the Iranians from having that nuclear deal, keep them under the sanctions, has said you started the situation in the Gaza Strip against us, and now the world media is taking up and blaming Israel for what's going on. The Prime Minister made a statement this week I thought was very interesting. He said, we do more 
to help those Palestinian people in the Gaza Strip than any other nation in the world. That is a truth, and it's a very interesting fact, isn't it? They do more than the Palestinian Authority does itself. Of course, that's because they were physically kicked out by Hamas. That strip is in trouble because of Hamas, because this radical group controls it, and Iran funds and helps that, and others do as well. That's the reason there's these problems. That's the reason. But Israel is the main helper of the people there. It is true, Jimmy, in so many ways. I could talk an hour. We don't have the time, but it is true. And they are the ones that should be thanked for trying at least to get the situation dealt with there, but militarily is likely going to be the way that that takes place, and that is sad. Friends, that's the reason we bring David Dolan to this broadcast table every week with his Middle East News Update, to give you the truth on what's happening in this major region of the world as we look at the prophetic scenario for the end of times. David, thank you for the great report. You're staying on top of everything for us. It's key. So thank you, my good friend. We'll talk again next week. You're welcome, Jimmy. God bless. We're going to take a break. When we come back, Winky Madad is standing by. He's in Shiloh, one of the ancient cities of Israel, very historic background. And by the way, they have an archaeological dig there. He'll give us an update on that. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. In today's world, a biblical worldview and a proper understanding of biblical prophecy should be a priority. At a time when many false doctrines are entering the church at a frightening pace, we must be able to rightly divide God's Word in order to live a pure and productive life for Him. If you would like an in-depth understanding of biblical prophecy, let me challenge you to consider Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's School of Prophets. The School of Prophets is an online study for the layman or student pursuing a master's or doctorate degree. Dr. DeYoung's online study program will allow you to develop a timeline of biblical prophecies of the past, as well as future prophecies yet to be fulfilled. Your personal study of God's Word will only be enhanced by Dr. DeYoung's School of Prophets, and your life will be changed as you better understand, like Daniel, where you fit into God's calendar of events. If you're interested in developing a deeper understanding of God's prophetic Word, let me personally invite you to become involved in Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's School of Prophets. Call today at 8-PROPHECY-8. That's 877-674-3298. Or visit us at schoolofprophets.org. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. Jimmy DeYoung here in Temporary Studios in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Of course, let me remind you, we are on a 12-day, 12-city tour. We're doing VCY America radio rallies, and this is one of the networks that carries our five-minute broadcast, Prophecy Today. We'll be in Wisconsin, Michigan, South Dakota, and Kansas. May I suggest you go to my website, prophecytoday.com, or go to VCY America's website. You'll be able to find the schedule. Love to see you if we're going to be in your area in the next 12 days. Well, we get back into talking with our broadcast partners, going to Israel now, Shiloh, center part of the state of Israel. It's a very biblical and historic city for the Jewish people. In fact, when Joshua brought the children of Israel into the promised land, they ultimately ended up in Shiloh, put up a tabernacle there, had the Ark of the Covenant, and it was the political, spiritual capital for the Jewish people for a number of years. On the line with us, the former mayor of Shiloh, Winky Madad, 
he was not only a mayor but has great political interest in what's going on, knows very much of what is happening in the political arena. We'll talk with him about that. But for a a many-year period of time in Shiloh, he was kind of the one overlooking the archaeological dig. Now they have gone really full force ahead in doing this. And, Winky, I understand during the break you told me that you were just down to the archaeological dig. Anything exciting happening down there? Jimmy, archaeology here is every Israeli second religion. And I was very glad to have some time with Dr. Scott Stripling, who's from Texas. He runs an outfit called ARB, a bunch of consortium Christian colleges and universities, and this is their second year there. He's planned uh, at least five because he wants to celebrate the 100th anniversary of the first dig at Shiloh by the Danish back in 1922. He told me today, for example, he found about 1,000 pieces of pottery, nine coins from the first century before and after, I don't know exactly what exact date it was. We were just standing around talking. I saw some bullets come out of the ground from World War I uh, when the British and the Turkish were fighting in this area. And then he showed me very briefly uh, a inkwell, sort of not larger than your palm, a little bit smaller, in fact, if I'm looking at my hand now and sort of closing the fingers, dark brown. He hasn't checked it out yet, so it's sort of like the very first couple of hours that he was looking at it, but he was very excited because, you know, as an archaeologist, you look at stones and walls and pottery, and you sort of look at inanimate objects, and you just look at them, and you say, okay, what's their date? Where'd they come from? How did it fit? When you look at an inkwell, it's like you realize that someone was sitting down at a table with a feather, perhaps, or some other reed, and was dipping that into the inkwell to write what? A marriage contract, uh, a deed, a letter, or maybe even a Torah scroll. So this really brings up archaeology and makes it very, very real. And I wish him a lot of luck in the next uh, week when he finishes and then next year when he comes back. Well, you've got me excited about what's going on there because we have put on our new agenda for second-timers. In other words, many of you have gone to Israel with us, but you'd like to go another time. So we have a a bit of a different itinerary, and part of our itinerary will be going to Shiloh, meeting with Winky Madad, and going down to the archaeological dig, just giving you a preliminary report of what's going on down there. That is exciting information, Winky. Well, Winky Madad has a, a great historic background as well. I mean, he knows history. We're talking about biblical history right now, the finding of the equal there at the Tabernacle site in Shiloh. But let's come up a bit closer to modern-day history, Winky. This last week, June the 7th, of course, was a special day on the calendar. It was the celebration of the reunification of the city of Jerusalem. Normally, that is called Jerusalem Day, and on the Jewish calendar, we celebrated that just a couple of weeks back. But this was an unbelievable military operation 
when the Jewish military, the Israeli Defense Force, and the paratroopers took back this sacred piece of real estate, the Temple Mount, for the first time in some 2,000 years and reunited the city of Jerusalem. Talk to me about how important this was to the nation of Israel and the Jewish people. Well, Jimmy, let's remind our audiences, on May 15, 1967, Nasser declared a basically a siege of Israel, closing down the Straits of Tehran in the south by the Reed Sea. Uh, he managed to kick out the uh, United Nations uh, supervisory force in, in Gaza, which was under Egyptian military rule, by the way, and began marching tens of thousands of people in the streets of Cairo, whipping up emotions. Israel appealed uh, to the United Nations, appealed to the United States, appealed to everybody else. There was a crazy idea that the Western nations would send a flotilla through the Tehran Straits, which didn't happen, and became very apparent that we, a military strike was needed. And sure enough, on June 5th, 67, uh, sorties uh, were flown early in the morning at Egypt, which destroyed, if I'm not mistaken, over 400 planes on the ground effectively knocking out Egypt with its aggressive uh, ability to do any real damage except on the ground. And then, as you said, two days later, the decision was taken after deliberations, I must say, uh, Jimmy. The government was not at one voice about whether to go into the old city because of, if I may say so, Christian sentiments about taking over the holy city of Jerusalem and getting involved in perhaps an inter-religious uh, fracas there, but eventually uh, voices said, Jerusalem is as much as our city as anybody else, and we have the right to be there. And sure enough, as you said, eventually the paratroopers were on the Temple Mount, flag of Israel was flown over the wall overlooking the uh, Wailing Wall, which we call, of course, the Western Wall, and uh, the city was reunited. Uh, and Jimmy, you know, people like to talk about Jerusalem, divided, undivided, occupied, not occupied. It was only 19 years between 1948 and 1967 that the city ever was separated or divided or partitioned up until 1948. Going back to David's day, the city was always united. No, no one has divided the city. It all of a sudden now becomes somehow a divided city that has to be redivided. So that was, that's, in a nutshell, 1967, 51 years ago. Yes, 51 years ago, and on that special time when the Israeli Defense Force was up on the Temple Mount, several of my friends, Gershon Solomon was up there at the same time, Rabbi Gorin, who went up on the Temple Mount. Actually, I love the story about Rabbi Gorin, who went into the Dome of the Rock with a stick of dynamite, was going to blow it up and start to build the next Jewish temple. And Uzi Narkis, one of the commanders that helped take uh, that uh, area of the Temple Mount, he said, uh, General, put down your dynamite stick or I'll have to put you in jail. Very wonderful, exciting story of what happened. Winky, you are a man who knows what's going on as it relates to the preparations to rebuild the Jewish temple on the Temple Mount. How significant was it for the 67 war to take place and the taking of the Temple Mount by the Jewish military in order to rebuild that temple. This was a key component in what they had to have and be ready to do to build the temple, correct? I would agree with you, and on many occasions I've always said that the 
1967 war was simply a continuation of the 1948 war. If I want to go theological, Jimmy, I could say that perhaps God said that uh, you have to do things in stages and people are not really sometimes prepared for great miracles. So we'll do the small miracles and they and do it in stages. And, and uh, so that when 67 came around, after 19 years of longing for the old city, uh, perhaps then the consciousness and the emotional feeling about the fact that they had been separated by 19 years. I think I once told you that I was here as a student in 66, 67. I remember walking to places where you could look over the wall, uh, Mount Zion, into the old city. Uh, maybe in 48, the attachment maybe wasn't as great as it was in 67 after God said, uh, in a certain sense, perhaps, uh, wait 19 years and then see how you feel about the, the loss of the Western Wall and the old city and everything else inside. So the unification, I think, ever since then has been very strongly upholded. And I think that the stages, if we open our eyes, are revealed to us. You follow the news as much as I do. The amount of Jews going up nowadays on the Temple Mount is 100 to 200 a day. On Jerusalem Day, there was 2,000. That wasn't the case 10 years ago or 15 years ago. And so obviously things are moving along in a direction. It's very difficult for humans to measure God's time, but we just have to do our job and hope that the biblical prophecies and God's intervention will help things out here and there once in a while. And one of those Jewish men who was up on the Temple Mount this June 7th was one of those paratroopers who back in 67 went up there. His name now Rabbi Israel Ariel, who heads up the Temple Institute and the ones preparing to put that temple up onto the Temple Mount. Everything's prepared. They're ready to do it. All you have to do is uh, reverse that decision by those political leaders and take back the Temple Mount to build your temple, correct, Winky? Yes. It's not simple, but sometimes humans have to make the proper understanding in their minds, and then the activity, whether it's political, economic, social, or cultural, will follow from that. And we just have to keep pushing and, and, and raising the consciousness and, and the sensitivity and the understanding. And we will look fondly back on 67, but look forward in anticipation. Winky Madad, our broadcast partner located in Shiloh, center part of the state of Israel, with a report about the archaeological dig going on there at the original site of the tabernacle in the nation of Israel when the Jews came in some 3,500 years ago, and then updating and thinking about what's happening in light of June 7, 67, when the Israeli Defense Force took the Temple Mount. Winky, exciting conversation, great information, appreciate it, and we'll talk again real soon. Jimmy, thank you for having me on the program. Goodbye to you and our listeners. We're going to get a good report now from John Rood as well. He reports on the European Union. John lived in Belgium, Brussels, Belgium, for a number of years, headquarters for the European Union. And there's a lot of things I want to talk about. The Prime Minister of Israel has been in Europe visiting the leaders of the European Union, in particular France, Germany, and the United Kingdom. But before I get to that, we talked a couple of weeks ago, John, about a army that the European Union would put up and establish there 
for the European Union, about 10 members, if I remember correctly. Angela Merkel, Chancellor of Germany, says she now backs Macron. He is the president of France, his European Union defense force. That's exciting, is it not, as it relates to Bible prophecy, but even the fact they're moving ahead with this project of a military operation in the European Union. Yes, the European Union initiative for a military or an EU army, it's been around for a long time, and it's had serious failures as well. It's a continuing attempt to put this together. The EU military committee was formed in the year 2000. Uh, we've had the European Commission president, uh, Jean-Claude Juncker, to actually come out calling for the formation of EU army that uh, 2015. Very interesting. There's been a group a subset of today's European Union called the Western European Union, which is the military alliance of the EU. And interesting enough, that particular alliance has had 10 nations for many, many years, and they actually added a number of associate members, junior members, and so forth, and it always stayed at the number 10, which was interesting. Now, of course, I don't think that's the eventual 10 nations of the uh, Confederation that we're looking for, but it does show that groups of 10 nations are possible. So we have the current situation now where Angela Merkel has more or less okayed the plan which is coming through France's Macron. Part of this is the tension that the EU has always wanted to have a uh, relevant and an autonomous military. They've done things like the Galileo uh, GPS satellite system was completely superfluous. There are already two global systems. The only reason to do that is for military targeting. And the significance, as you say, Jimmy, is that there is this EU military thrust that's always there. It's come to light again. It appears to be gaining some traction. Then there's the EU political union. And these are uh, two, perhaps the two main characteristics of what I would say the eventual core nations will bring them together because it's the political union that will bring the Ten-Nation Confederation. Right with that is the EU military. That just makes sense. Absolutely. And that 10, that number, exciting as we think about the potential for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled, the European Union, at least that infrastructure for the revived Roman Empire. Meanwhile, Vladimir Putin, president of Russia, has been in Austria. He made a statement in his eight-hour visit there that Russia is not interested in trying to divide the European Union. I didn't even know that was on the docket. What do you know about that? Oh, well, <laughs> I think the fact that he even says that just shows that's exactly what they are doing. Uh, we have these various right-wing groups which are growing quite quickly in the European Union. The representations in the European Parliament are growing, and particularly in the spotlight these days is Austria and Italy. So Austria actually has one of the youngest uh, chancellors, Sebastian Kurtz, and they have come out trying to perceive themselves as a bridge between Moscow and the West. So now that Putin had not had a visit in, the, in Western Europe for almost a year, it's no surprise that he picked Austria because they actually have this newly formed coalition of 
two populist groups. They've been around for many, many decades. It's nothing new. And the surprising factor in this is that Austria is gaining the position of the EU presidency in the rotating six-month schedule. And so that begins on July 1st. So Austria literally literally is overseeing the uh, presidency of the EU28. They essentially guide and host 300 events, 60 council meetings, 13 which are held in Austria, and then the final Brussels summit, which will be in mid-December. So uh, Putin has actually uh, looked to influencing Europe through Austria because it will be in the spotlight for the next uh, six months. Now, the, one of the situations is having Eurosceptic parties, it does not mean to be pro-Russian. It just simply means they don't believe in the European plan of integration. But what Russia has done is that they certainly see that there's a vacuum. They come in to fill it. So if there are people that are discontent with today's European Union, and they're going for an alternative, then since being close neighbor, he's coming there to offer help and an alternative. So that has been the danger that today Euroscepticism is seen to be moving towards pro-Moscow, but it's actually the move of Russia to come in and take advantage of that vacuum. Very interesting because of the fact that in the end time scenario that is found in Bible prophecy, two major powers at the beginning of the tribulation period, the revived Roman Empire, i.e. the European Union, and then Russia leading a coalition of Islamic states to try to wipe Israel off the face of the earth. Well, one of the reasons that the Prime Minister of Israel has been in the European Union is for the purpose of trying to help them decide against a pulling together of the nuclear deal with the Iranians. And, of course, while there, the Iranians announced they're going to start to enrich their uranium. The Prime Minister of Israel meeting with Merkel, with Macron, and with May, trying to see if he can get them to be on his side. How is that coming? Yes, we commented last week as these meetings were being set up, and it's a position that simply is going to need to take some time. Europe, I believe, is interested in just maintaining the status quo, but we should note some of the distinctions that are here. Even though Prime Minister Netanyahu is meeting with German, French, UK leaders at the highest level, of course, it's really only Israel and the United States that are uh, confronting Iran specifically on other issues than simply the nuclear agreement, but their uh, aggression in the region, uh, the Syrian uh, civil war, their regional ambitions, their violence, which they have instigated and led through Gaza. So these are the issues that are coming to the forefront, the United States being a force behind that. How Europe receives... Prime Minister Netanyahu, it's usually listening, but they probably don't feel that's enough pressure to change. He gives very, very convincing evidence. It shows that Iran has not kept the deal. Uh, Is Europe willing to stand up and go for what's right, rather than simply what keeps them with their own personal interests? That's the thing to see. 
Yeah, we'll stay on top of that story with John Rood, who's the man who covers the European Union for us. And remember, when I talk with John, we talk politics, and then we talk prophecy as well. John, great report. Thank you so much, my good friend. We'll talk again next week. Looking forward to it. Well, you may know that on a weekly basis on Fridays, I join Brandon House. He has Worldview Weekend Radio heard across the United States, and I give Brandon a Middle East news update. We have great times, open up the phone lines for question and answer, and I've had the privilege and honor of being with him at his Ozarks conference and on a number of other events that Brandon has put on to try to make the world realize they need to have a world view that is biblical. And, of course, with my input, I want it to be prophetic as well. When I heard about the situation between the Philadelphia Eagles, that uh, football team who won the Super Bowl last year, and President Trump at the White House, and the fact that the president disinvited the Eagles, I thought I needed to talk with Brandon about this, see what his thoughts might be as it relates to this particular incident. Now, Brandon, as I understand it, there had been a message sent to the president. About 80 of the members of the Eagles were going to be there at the White House for this special honoring of the Super Bowl champs. It ended up just a day before it was to happen, two or three, including the mascot, <laughs> was going to be there. So the president disinvited the Eagles in a grill uproar. First, your thoughts about this cultural activity and the fact that uh, Super Bowl champs are not. You can't disrespect the president of the United States, can you? No, absolutely not. It is the people's house, but he is the custodian of it while he's president of the United States. He invites you. You want to play political games. A big chunk of you not show up, not give him an answer as to whether you're really going to be there or not. They have security screenings to do, by the way. I've been to the White House. I think you've been to the White House. Uh, They get your Social Security numbers in advance. They screen you. They know who's coming. You know, there's a lot of details. You can't just say, well, we might be there. We might not be there. Somebody might be showing up. They may not be showing up. They have to know who's coming and who's not coming. But then you talk about just the matter of respect. The President of the United States invites you to his home, the people's house that he's custodian of. You you wouldn't treat someone who invited you to a meal that way. It's your own private home as a private citizen, much less the President of the United States. But then I also think the issue is even deeper. Because if you study the worldview of the man that wrote the national anthem that we know, all the indications are that he was a believer, that he was a Christian. And we know that our uh, country developed this concept of our flag to represent what we stood for, and that we were a constitutional republic. And a constitutional republic, according to William Blackstone, the leading scholar of the Founding Fathers, was that whatever the divine is ruled on, meaning God, we don't rule against. So we are a constitutional republic based on the character, nature, and laws of God, or the Decalogue, or the moral law. Somebody might say, hey, I thought this was a prophecy program. Let me just read a couple of verses from Second Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 1. And by the way, the swan song for the Apostle Paul, he's dealing with some very important information about the Second Coming. He says this, verse 1 of Second Timothy chapter 3. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, 
false teachers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce despisers of those that do good, traitors. Now, that one fits. Traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. This is talking about the last days, the Apostle Paul writing it. And you know, with the the sports situation in our world, both the secular world and even the Christian world, are enamored. I don't think they have their priorities quite right in this area. Do you, Brennan? No, absolutely not. They don't have it right at all. And then you talk about what is the prophetic implications here. The prophetic implications are you're talking about people that apparently are going to fight against our national sovereignty, our uniqueness as a nation, and our historical, biblical framework and foundation. Were all the Founding Fathers Christians? No. Uh, but they gave us a wonderful constitutional republic, and we know the colonies were, and Bradford said America would be a place from which the gospel would go forth. Well, the internationalists, the statists, the globalists, the socialists, the progressives, the communists, the Fabians, the Antifa communist groups, they hate our national sovereignty. And so to go to a world government, which is about Bible prophecy, you have to get the people to turn against the idea of national borders, national sovereignty, and a, a rule of law of our nation. And that's the prophetic implication. This is trying to turn the hearts of Americans against the idea of being an independent nation. God is not in favor of globalism. That's why he did what he did at the Tower of Babel and confused their language. Eventually we're going to a one-world government, but that's not God's plan. God draws the borders of nations and where people reside, and this will be going against God's plan and setting up Antichrist kingdom. Great word, Brandon. Brandon House has his own national broadcast, both radio and television. It's Worldview Weekend Radio. He holds conferences across the countryside. You can find him on the Internet, worldviewweekend.com. And, Brandon, thanks for joining me today on the broadcast. Some great thoughts about this Philadelphia Eagles White House disinviting. Thank you so much, my good friend. Thank you. We're going to take a break right now, and when we come back, I've got one more guest, David James. He's going to talk about Christ at the checkpoint. You do not want to miss that. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hi, everybody. This is Jimmy DeYoung. I want to welcome you back to Prophecy Today. I'm here in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. We had a great time this morning with about 60 Hispanic pastors. I taught them how to study Bible prophecy, and then I illustrated from the Word of God how you can look at current events in light of the prophetic truth found in the Bible. This is the beginning of our 12-day, 12-city time of travel. Go to my website, prophecytoday.com. Look under the schedule, and you'll find out when we'll be in each city. Do be praying for us as we travel to these 12 cities in some 12 days. I want you to answer my poll question, if you will. Go to my website, prophecytoday.com. Here's the poll question. The United States is not in Bible prophecy and the end-time scenario. However, with the interaction between the United States and other nations, like the G7 nations at their summit, and the United States-North Korean summit, it looks as if the prophetic roles that these other nations will play will happen in the last days. Could we be seeing the stage being set for these prophetic passages to be fulfilled? 
Be sure to go to my website, answer that poll question, the website address, prophecytoday.com. We're now bringing to these microphones David James. We have a weekly conversation. We focus on an issue that the body of Christ needs to have a biblical understanding of, and we're going to do that again this week. David, earlier this week, I sent you a link to an article on Israel Today, a website in Israel concerning this year's Christ at the Checkpoint Conference in Israel. And this is what I would like to discuss today. As we have in previous years, this has been an important topic to bring to the attention of our listeners. I want you to take a moment and explain to our listeners what this conference is all about. Right. Well, thanks, Jimmy. It's great to be with you again. Yeah, this is a biannual conference held every other year, and this year it was just a couple of weeks ago. On their website for Christ at the Checkpoint, they list the location as Bethlehem, Palestine, which, you know, that that kind of alerts us right off the bat. There could be a problem, and the idea of a checkpoint, they're saying that the state of Israel has checkpoints to allow Palestinians into Israel proper. And so the whole premise behind this conference, which actually started in 2010, is that if Christ were living today, that he would have to go through an Israeli checkpoint. And the conference is really very much anti-Israel in many ways and focuses on the quote-unquote plight of the Palestinians and that the state of Israel is occupying Palestinian territory. You know, when you go to their website concerning Christ at the checkpoint, the the website for the conference, they say that they believe, this is a quote from their website, we also believe that our discipleship requires a prophetic voice. We feel compelled to address the injustices that have taken place in the ongoing conflict between Israel and Palestine, particularly the Palestinian lands under occupation. So it is designed to give voice to Palestinians and Palestinian Christians against Israeli occupation, and that's the whole premise of the entire conference. You know, when I sent you that link, uh, the article there in the Israel Today newspaper, the website, included a statement that Jesus was a Palestinian. Now, the foreign minister of the Palestinian Authority under Mahmoud Abbas He went to the conference. He was the keynote speaker at the opening of the conference. David, you know, this is totally an untruth. I want you to explain why Jesus Christ was not a Palestinian. Well, this is a very interesting point. (laughs) In fact, you may be a little bit shocked at my response to this, but I know that you've discussed the origination of the term Palestinian when you teach, and and I do it as well. And that is that the term Palestinian actually comes from an ancient Latin term that was coined by the Roman Emperor Hadrian in the second century, and it comes from a translation or a transliteration of the term Philistine, so it was actually a derogatory term aimed at the Jewish people. Uh, calling them Philistines because they were hated by the Romans. So the modern-day Palestinians are not an ethnic group. Historically, there is no such thing as a Palestinian ethnic group. They are simply Arabs. That is their ethnicity. So if you're going to say that anybody is a Palestinian, even though it's a derogatory term and an insult, actually the Jewish people are the original Palestinians, and they were called this by the Roman Emperor Hadrian. So 
in that sense, yeah, Jesus was a uh, was a Palestinian, but simply because he was Jewish, not an Arab, and the term Palestinian today is a manufactured uh, political term with the intent of these particular Arabs who want the entire land of the current state of Israel to be theirs and to drive the Jewish people into the sea, according to the charter of the uh, Palestinian Liberation Organization, which has now been replaced by the Palestinian Authority. And as David mentioned, Hadrian was using that term derogatorily against the Jewish people. And that word there in Joel chapter 3 is Philistia, and uh, no place else can I find it translated as Palestinian, which the King James does, but I think that is not correct. Palestinian people come from a place called Palestine, supposedly, and in fact, when you go back, they never have had a state, they've never been a people as such, and as I trace from the book of Genesis chapter 25 all the way to the little book of Obadiah, we're talking about a people, the descendants of Esau, who are called Palestinian people of today. Now, one of the things discussed in this article was the suggestion that we are now in a post-biblical era of Christianity. What does that mean, David, and do you think this is an important issue? I think it's a very important issue, and I think it's an important point made in that article. When we talk about post biblical era of Christianity, it's also tied to what is philosophically called uh, postmodernism, and it simply has to do with the idea that most people in churches today, even those who would be born again, and certainly not everyone in the churches today are born-again believers in Christ. In fact, many denominations probably have relatively few truly born-again believers because the gospel is not being taught. You know, in order for someone to become a biblical Christian, that is someone who has been saved through faith in Jesus Christ, they must hear understand and believe the gospel. But beyond that, evangelism is just a part of the picture. Discipleship is the rest of the picture. Our salvation is not the end of the story. It's the beginning of the story of our relationship and walk with the Lord, and that's built upon a knowledge of both the Old and the New Testament, a knowledge of the Lord and His Word, which He has given us to be conformed to the image of Christ. And if we are in a post-biblical era, what we find is in many churches, even in what have historically been conservative evangelical churches, the Bible is simply not being taught. And so it is post-biblical. You know, so many messages, rather than being uh, Bible-centered, they tend to be focused on uh, what is often called felt needs. They're topical. They deal with issues in society, but very often the Bible simply is, is not taught. So even though so many would identify themselves as Christian, they're not biblical Christians because, one, they have not heard the gospel in many cases, and in other cases, uh, they just don't know what the Bible has to say. The sponsoring group for this conference, Christ at the Checkpoint, is Bethlehem Bible College. And David, they are hosting this annual conference, but can you take a moment and explain to us something about this people and this school? 
Sure. It was founded in 1979, and even under the Wikipedia article, and I don't rely heavily on Wikipedia, but it's often a good place to start for information, and probably someone from Bethlehem Bible College actually wrote the brief article on Wikipedia, that's the way it sounds, because it says that it was founded in 1979 in Bethlehem under Israeli military occupation. So they certainly see Bethlehem, which was David was born, where the Son of God, the Son of Man, the Son of David, Jesus Christ was born, and certainly it was a part of ancient Israel. It was not an Arab city. It was a part of Judah, which is one of the sons of Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. That's how we get the name of Israel and the term even children of Israel. So Bethlehem was actually the center and the birthplace of David, who was the second king of Israel after Saul, and he was the man who was uh, a man after God's own heart. So going back to Bethlehem Bible College, they offer several uh, diplomas. They have a BA in Biblical Studies, a Diploma in Biblical Studies, and a Master's in Christian Ministry. Those are in Arab They also have an English program, a diploma in tour guiding, but I would suggest that their main purpose is to bring a distinction between the Palestinian people and the Jewish people, and they are training their students to actually be anti-Israel and anti-Jewish and completely distorting the Word of God with regard to Israel's place in God's program. David, on this program, we have sometimes talked about Christian Zionism. Take a moment and explain, if you will, what that is and then how it differs from Christian Palestinianism. Well, Christian Zionism is built upon Jewish Zionism, which began in the late 1800s and led to the Balfour Declaration and then ultimately Israel being established as a state. And Christian Zionism is simply supporting that idea that the Jewish people have a promised place in God's program. Christian Palestinianism is a term that was coined by uh, Paul Wilkinson in his book, for Zion's sake, and it's simply the idea that the Palestinians have a right to, or these, this Arab group actually, have a rightful claim to the land that they want to occupy in contrast to what is promised in the Abrahamic Covenant, that uh, God has given them a land descendants and blessing, and anyone who sets themselves against uh, the Jewish people, meaning the descendants of Abraham, are in a place of ultimately uh, potentially being judged by God. Also, David, I'd like you to briefly explain the issue of replacement theology and Kingdom Now theology, since these two issues seem to be a large part of the problem, both at Bethlehem Bible College and at the Christ at the Checkpoint conferences. That's exactly right. Replacement theology is the idea that rather than a literal fulfillment of the promises made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and to Moses, and to David, and through the prophet Jeremiah in uh, chapter 31 concerning the New Covenant in the book of Jeremiah, the idea is that the Church has replaced Israel in God's program, and those uh, literal promises are now being fulfilled spiritually. And the Bethlehem Bible College and the Christ at the Checkpoint Conferences believes that we are establishing the kingdom now, that the Church is responsible for that, that Israel has no claim to the land, which we would understand actually goes far beyond the current uh, national borders of Israel, and it goes from the River Nile to the U- River Euphrates, a huge piece of real estate which, is, which God has promised to his people. 
David, let's conclude our conversation by talking about one of the graduates who got his doctorate, his Ph.D., just last May, graduating from our School of Prophets, Don Holsinger, who focused in advanced eschatology and did his dissertation on the inherent anti-Semitism of replacement theology from a biblical perspective. Now, both you and I would agree with his conclusions. Now, if that's true, this means that many believers in the church today are actually setting themselves up against the Jewish people, even if unwittingly. I would definitely agree with that, and I think it's something that our listeners need to be careful of and and to be alert to, even in what may be coming out of the pulpits of their churches. If God's promises to the Jewish people are not going to be fulfilled literally, as would have been understood by both the writers and the audiences concerning those promises, then uh, we can't trust God to literally fulfill any of his promises honestly. And beyond that, it puts us in a place of actually setting ourselves against the Jewish people and the and the modern-day state of Israel, which ultimately is what we would see a part of the fulfillment of God's promises to return his people to the land. So it's a very dangerous theology. And God's word is absolute, and what he says will happen in the end times. You need to study that. I need to study it. David and I and every one of us must understand the the satanic idea of replacement theology in God's plan for the Jewish people in the future. It, of course, is so contingent upon him keeping his promises to us as Christians as well. Great discussion, David. Thank you so much. We'll have another one next week. Thanks, Jimmy. Always great to be with you. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, I'll take a look at the book. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. The book of Revelation is God's final word to man and the timeline of the last days revealed to the Christians. This symbolism-filled example of apocalyptic literature can be difficult to understand, especially when simply reading it from beginning to end. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest book, Revelation, A Chronology, takes a walk through the prophetic book of Revelation in the order that the events will take place, chronologically, sharing insights into its true meaning and doing so in an easy-to-understand and practical way. If you have difficulty understanding the book of Revelation, get your copy of Revelation, A Chronology, and let Dr. Jimmy DeYoung aid you in your understanding of this profound end-times prophecy book that God has preserved in His Scriptures for for Christians in the last days. To order your copy of Jimmy D. Young's Revelation, a chronology, call us toll-free at 877-674-3298 or visit our website at prophecytoday.com. Just how close are we to the rapture of the church? Do events taking place in the Middle East and around the world have prophetic significance? In his latest book, Sound the Trumpets, Jimmy DeYoung examines these questions and explains just how near the rapture of the church could possibly be. By comparing four trends from prophetic scripture to current events taking place in the world today, Jimmy shows that the stage is set, every actor is in place, and the curtain is about to go up on the end-time scenario set forth in the scriptures. Sound the Trumpets is a must-read for every serious student of Bible prophecy. 
To order your copy of Jimmy DeYoung's new book, Sound the Trumpets, for only $15, call us today at 8-PROPHECY-8. That's 877-674-3298. Or visit us on the World Wide Web at prophecytoday.com. Call today and make sure to get your copy of Sound the Trumpets. It's time right now here on Prophecy Today for us to take a look at the book. For the last hour and a half, we have been talking with our broadcast partners around the world, getting information and updates on current events that are unfolding, and then insight from these great broadcast partners. This is information that we, you and I, need to have in order to be able to see how close we are to the fulfillment of the prophetic passages that are found in God's Word. I so appreciate my broadcast partners. And by the way, you do not want to miss any of these interviews that I have with my broadcast partners, nor do you want your friends who are interested in Bible prophecy to miss these conversations either. Go to my website, prophecytoday.com, and if you'll go to PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network, you'll be able to hear all of these conversations. You may have had to miss the broadcast. For the next week, we'll have posted on our website at PTRN all of these conversations with my broadcast partners. Again, go to my website, prophecytoday.com. Let me now take a few moments to go over what our broadcast partners, their lead stories might have been, and then let's look at a prophetic perspective on the news today and see exactly where we are in God's time for the end times. Ken Timmerman, he came to this broadcast table And I ask him to talk about and give us a preview of the United States-North Korean summit that's going to take place. This is a very key summit that will be unfolding. Ken gave us some great insight into what may happen if indeed it's not called off before the summit was to begin on the 12th of June there in Singapore. But uh, we need to know what we need to look for, and Ken was able to help us in that area. Again, I must remind you that today, as we look at the next events in God's calendar of activities prophetically, North Korea is not listed at the beginning of the seven-year period of time called the Tribulation. They are at the end, the last six months to be exact. You'll see that the kings of the east, that would be Revelation chapter 16 and verse 12, and North Korea would be a part of those kings of the east, They will come together to form an army to try to stop the return of Jesus Christ. They'll be under the command of the Antichrist, and they will gather at Jerusalem. That's Revelation chapter 16, verses 13 to 16, when these world leaders will be duped by signs, wonders, and miracles to gather at Jerusalem, Zechariah chapter 14 and verse 2, and the Battle of Armageddon to unfold after that. David Dolan, longtime journalist in the Middle East, gave us information that Israel is blaming Iran for the Gaza violence. Now, at the border with the Gaza Strip and Israel, there's been violence going on for the last eight weeks, and especially on Friday, 
This last Friday was the last day of Ramadan, a great demonstration by the Palestinians against the Jewish state of Israel. But how did this all come about? The Iranians. It's been uncovered by the Israelis. The Iranians were responsible for instructing the Palestinians in the Gaza Strip to do a propaganda ploy to make the world hate the state of Israel because of the way they were treating the Palestinian people. Well, that's not what the Bible says in the book of Ezekiel chapter 35 and verse 5 says that these Palestinian people will kill the Jews and then steal their land. That's verse 10. What may be going on today, current events actually setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled may take a wig and a wag there. But what God's Word says is absolute. And when you look at the book of Malachi chapter 1, it says the Palestinian people, the descendants of Esau, will return and they will rebuild. The Lord will call their borders the borders of wickedness and have indignation against them forever. And the Palestinian people will be destroyed as if they have never been. That's the book of Obadiah, verse 18. Winky Madad talked about the Six-Day War, and in particular, June 7, when the Israeli paratroopers captured the city of Jerusalem. They took it back after a 2,000-year period of time. It's the most sacred piece of real estate in all of creation, Jerusalem. That word used 764 times in the Bible. It's going to be the location for a tribulation temple. It'll be a location where the image of the Antichrist will be placed, and everybody in the world will have to worship the Antichrist. It will also be the location for the headquarters for the kingdom to come when Jesus Christ returns. Key report from Winky Madad. John Rood gave us our European Union update, talking about the European Union military, putting together 10 nations to do that, that number 10 key to Daniel chapter 2 and Daniel chapter 7. Great information from John. Brandon House, we talked about the Philadelphia Eagles and their White House visit and why President Trump disinvited them. And it's because of what the Bible calls for in the end times, in perilous times, as reported there in 2 Timothy chapter 3, about the first six verses. Men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of pleasure, more than lovers of God. That's what we see happening today. And, of course, we talked about Christ at the checkpoint. It's a conference that took place in Bethlehem, and it was a group of replacement theologians. They believe that in the end times, the church will replace the Jewish people. That's not according to the word of God. God gave the Jewish people four covenants and promised them a future. That future has not been fulfilled yet. And if we ignore what God promised the Jewish people, say that it's going to be negated and all those promises given to the church, which is replacement theology, we have concern about whether Jesus also will lie to us as Christians. If he did it to the Jews, he could do it to us. We would have no assurance of our salvation. That is not the case. Replacement theology is satanic. Well, this is what we heard from our broadcast partners today and all of these events setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. And these prophecies will be fulfilled after the rapture of the church, which is the next event before the seven-year tribulation period. By the way, that rapture could actually happen 
at any moment. What we reported today and the fact that that rapture could happen at any moment leaves me with nothing else to say except let's keep looking up until. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today. 